So I'd just like to welcome everybody um, to this Lessons Learned from On-Demand uh, Transit RFPs. Um, we wanna, I'd like to really take a moment to welcome our panelists. Uh, we've got uh, Sam Treblecock with uh, a Senior Planner with the City of Sioux Falls. And we have uh, Stephen Hunt, who is the Development Director with uh, Valley Regional Transit, uh, servicing Treasure Value, Valley, uh, encompassing uh, Boise and uh, the surrounding areas. So thank you uh, very much for taking time to uh, share your experiences. Um, I think that, you know, you guys are, you know, part of a leading trend who've already participated and, and deployed, um, some on-demand technology, on-demand transit technology, uh, in your territories. And we, I think we, it's important that we maybe define a little bit of what on-demand is for those in the audience and, you know, interested to get your perspective, uh, Stephen. Um, how would you, how would you tell others what on-demand uh, transit technology is all about? Um, well, so on-demand transit is, it's evolving, I think, in terms of definitions, and that's one of the things that I was going to get into in a little bit more detail later on, was definitions matter. And even using the same words of on-demand with within the procurement matters, and how how people hear that and what people are proposing, you need to make sure that you understand kind of where they're getting at. So, but broadly speaking, when we talk about on-demand, we're talking about services that that respond to rider needs when they happen. And so if you have, as, as opposed to a fixed schedule. So the easiest way that I always understood on-demand is just comparing it to a fixed schedule or fixed route. And on-demand is not fixed route or fixed schedule. And, it, and so one definition is it encompasses everything else. So um, paratransit might be defined as on-demand. The old dial-a-ride types of services are a version of on-demand. But what we're experiencing now with the innovations in on-demand is um, an application that's similar to Lyft or Uber where you've got a an in-the-moment opportunity to schedule a public transit ride. And so I think for a lot of people, that sparks a, a vision of what on-demand is, but it's it's services that are not scheduled and or pre-planned. Right. Well, when when we first entered um, public transit and we were giving our pitch to different people, um, someone said, "Well, that's just like the dial-a-bus service that we were trying to offer in the '70s, right?" And immediately you, they would come into they'd run into challenges when it got too popular. Right, because how many people can you have answering phones and, and organizing bus schedules for on-demand rides? You, you'd hit a theoretical limit of of how many people you can service with one dispatcher, right? And we see that in paratransit, which is why dispatch tra dispatch um, optimization technology has been around for quite some time, right? So you know, you, you take in your series of rides, plan it the night before, and then you know it it, it will give you a schedule for the following day. But on demand changes that where you can start, it will self heal and do its own scheduling without, without the, the necessity of having a human dispatcher, you know, schedule those, those trips. So uh, I think that's, it's interesting to kind of set that tone. Um, so each of the gentlemen here have, have taken some time to put, pull together, you know, kind of a, a comment about the type of service that they were, um, you know, going to RFP for. And I thought, a good way to start this conversation off is to share examples. And in full disclosure, 
um, you know, Pantonium did participate in each of uh, Sioux Falls and uh, Valley Regional's RFP processes. Uh, we weren't successful in both, but we definitely appreciate um, each of you taking time um, to to share your learnings um, in, about those processes. So without uh, going any deeper, um, Sam, I'd like to turn it over to you first, maybe to kind of uh, take us through what uh, City Sioux Falls process looked like, and then we can have a little bit of discussion about that. And then Stephen, we'll move on um, to your conversation after that, if that's fine with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me this afternoon. Um, so what I'm going to start off by doing is seeing how, how well I can share my screen. So and uh, go into presentation mode. It worked when we tried it just before you guys got out. If I if I have to, I'll just. You could just walk us through, uh, Sam, just with the. Uh, yeah. You could just you could just slide the uh, the left yep. the left window a little smaller. And, uh, there you go. And you make the notes section a little smaller, and then it looks it almost looks the same. Right. Perfect. So again, yeah, I'm Sam Trebelkonk. I'm senior planner with City of Sioux Falls, and we work a lot uh, with our transit provider, Surrey Metro. And what I wanted to be able to do is kind of take you through a kind of our, our, our whole process, because um, it really kind of helps explain, you know, how we came up with our RFP. And I think it is really important to explain our process to be able to understand what our goal was in this particular case. Um, you know, in terms of the basics, early on, you know, when our mayor was elected, he identified transit as a critical issue to innovate. Um, like a lot of transit systems around the country, you know, ridership is down. Uh, we're having financial issues, trying to figure out how to finance our capital, um, some really significant issues. So he was saying right off the bat, we need to do something with transit. Now, first of all, Surrey Metro at the time, you know, does not have, currently have an on-demand service until very, very recently, except for, you know, the paratransit, more of the kind of the dial the ride sort of service. Uh, the project that we're doing was really funded by our transit funds. So it was, you know, federal and local money uh, that we put together as a part of this whole, our, our whole fund. And then, Really, the project took over two years from beginning to end. Um, and you'll kind of see why as we kind of go through this, why uh, it does, it, like anything else, it does take a while to go through it. Um, so as I mentioned, our mayor was really interested in looking at this as, as uh, a project of public center, sector innovation. He's really a big believer in looking at innovation and looking at how that um, process can uh, you know generate uh, ideas and create values for the community. So the way we kind of went through that is we were looking at innovation teams, um, which were really a small group of pe people tackling real world challenges and learning and applying those innovation principles. 
and inclusive. Uh, well, really, you're focusing uh, our particular uh, innovation teams, and I'll show you the, the, the one that we chose in a second, you know, is really focused on um, cross-departmental and cross-sector uh, issues. So our innovation team, this was our transit core uh, innovation team that really uh, dug into transit. It was cross-departmental. Uh, 14 uh, people from different departments. Um, we had parks and IT and planning and finance, um, health, uh, as I look, look across the group here, fire even, uh, library. And, and all of us came together and spent a significant amount of time together. Um, in part, some of the people even here, we had um, people from uh, uh, that helped us through the process to uh, determine how to to go through. And and you can see the boards behind. We had a lot of sticky notes and all kinds of things trying to figure out what we should be innovating in transit. It's a unique process. Our mayor is in the back there. He was very uh, engaged in the process and very supportive of the process. We thought that was really important. Uh, so really was looking to develop innovative solutions using kind of a process called co-creation, engaging with uh, stakeholders, the public, and with more than anything with, with riders too, um, to find out what kinds of solutions we should be looking at to help innovate transit in, in, in Sioux Falls. So our, one, our main pilot, or our main goal was to look at a way to innovate our fixed route system or our mass transit system. So our pilot goal was to um, understand and how um, I'm going to move there. Sorry about that. One second. My window is getting in the way. Understand how and if mass transit and on-demand can increase service and service area and hours while meeting operational and economic requirements. So that was our pilot goal. And I really wanted to read that because that's very important for, you know, putting together your RFP. This is your goal. <clears throat> this is what you're scoping out as your goal. You need to stick with that. So I, I, I wanted to make sure that you guys, you know, understood that. So our, we then move forward into, as part of our core team, um, a pilot scope, design, install, test, market, operate, and iterate really important function is that we could actually iterate um, as we went into this as part of innovation. You don't want to just um, know for sure what you're, you're exactly you're doing. You're going to move through that process of innovation using existing bus fleet to schedule same day rides via an app, computer, phone service, shared rides. Corner. You can see all the different things we're looking at, even launching on Saturdays, is, which is what we are doing. So that's an important function also uh, we did is to look at the pilot scope. Again, we're looking at Saturdays, looking at, we decided it was important to look at the same service area we're doing with our fixed route service, doing that mass transit on-demand service. And then, yes, we even went through a timeline, although this did change, this changed, but we are planning. 
you know, what what does it need to look like? To some degree, we've maybe even overplanned uh, this, but uh, you don't want that to completely get in the way, but it's important to plan that timeline and what you're going to do. So the RFP itself, uh, what we do in Sioux Falls, our procurement manager at the city of Sioux Falls managed the process. I think it's important regardless of who it is that you do have somebody that is managing the process for, for the team that you have. We had a selection committee. We had somebody from our public transit advisory board that was a, a member, our GM from Surya Metro. We had a city council member. Uh, and then several members of our transit core team um, were also members of that selection team. Again, it's developing that, um, developing that support. You want to carry that support. Um, and we did that as part of the, the core team also is to engage the public throughout the process. Um, now in terms of the RFP details, uh, it was determined by our core team in large part, as I was just talking about. Sewer and Metro, of course, was very much involved as we got near the end and our public transit advisory board, but really, that's that's difficult. We need to do research from other on-demand pilots, um, what their RFPs were like. We were talking and engaging with um, other systems or uh, on-demand systems. We were interviewing them throughout the process, talking to them, getting demos, trying to learn more about it. Uh, you just really got to immerse yourself in that. And then going back to it, it's really important that you base Base it on the goals that you have set up for the process. Always go back to that, that initial goal. So our selection, we had eight proposals that we received in February of 2020. We interviewed and did demos with three. Um, our RFP committee scored all proposals and there's a standardized scoring sheet that we have. And that's, I think, really important to, to, to do so that all as much as possible, you can get all the selection team members um, on the same page. Now, our decision, of course, was delayed by COVID, so that was we could go into you know a whole thing just on that, but it was delayed. Um, we did end up selecting Pantonium um, in spring 2020, and contract was approved by fall 20 by fall of 2020. I put that in there because don't don't forget that part of the um, timeline. Uh, just going from uh, and, and negotiating the contract and getting the approval process for your contracts. Uh, I think you may be a lot of aware that it does take some time. So our on-demand mass transit pilot in terms of implementation, uh, detailed discovery was in mid-October. Uh, we had our training uh, in late October, public engagement in early November and, and marketing. Our pilot started on December 19th, so it's really new. Um, our term, uh, we have essentially a full four, four and a half month pilot, six week warm up. We just finished warm up, uh, last Saturday and, um, starting the pilot this Saturday, full pilot and, uh, going from there. So a few other things that, <clears throat> you know, Jeremy was bringing up as we were kind of looking at this. What's changed during your RFP process? Just kind of some of the preferences from the RFP committee. And that's what's important to always go back to the goal. Sometimes when they're, when, when you have the RFP committee looking at these, um, it's really kind of, um, easy to find the, uh, 
presentations. Um, sometimes they're really, um, might maybe, uh, uh, glitzy and, uh, impressive and, and all those kind of things. But you always got to back, go back to, are they fulfilling what the goal is of, of what we want to do? Always going back to that is really important. And so sometimes you got to move from those, Hey, what might, I really like this to what are we trying to get done here? Uh, what went well in the RFP process? I really thought the structure of our process uh, made it go uh, pretty smoothly. And I think that's important to have a, a really sound structure. Um, was most difficult. Again, it was difficult to write the specs. And I think that's uh, an important piece of what we're talking about here today. What to keep in mind? Again, goals and the scope. Always go back to that. Really important. What have we... What would we want to change? Managing expectations, it's really hard for us to um, sometimes uh, get everybody to understand that this isn't going to necessarily uh, change the world. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's a piece of the puzzle. And, and I think that's something that uh, we're trying to work through as we work through the pilot, too. Best advice for on-demand transit: Don't do it. Don't just do it because it's trendy. Do it because you you really think this is, this is something that can help your your operations, um, your service to your customers. Really find that um, uh, that niche that you, you're you're trying to provide. So, with that, I take questions, or um, I'm sure maybe saving questions for later. But thanks for the time. Thanks, Sam. If, uh, if you want to minimize your, your uh, minimize your screen share, um, I would like to go through and take take the questions from um, some of the attendees because some of them are actually uh, really interesting. So, one, Pamela White has asked a few different questions, Sam, and I think they're they're all pertinent. So, um, could you describe? She said, did this, did this replace service or did this extend service? So, just if you could clarify what. Um, the purpose and intent of, of the deployment was and, and kind of talk about numbers too, like how many buses and that type of thing. So. Right. So in our particular case, um, what's really important that we're trying to, 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 it's getting back to that goal is we're trying to determine whether or not we can do on-demand service more efficiently than our fixed route service in, in, in certain circumstances. So we looked at Saturday because we know our Saturday service, um, had less ridership, certainly had less riders per hour on especially certain routes. So this particular area was replacing um, uh, services um, for the entire fixed route. We have um, essentially 10 fixed route in which eight buses are out there at any one time. And so we're, we're running this um, on-demand service um, within that Saturday service area. So it's it's really interesting, and and you know through through the warm up we've we've worked through some some issues of course, but um, so far uh, we've been able to, to run it uh, with uh, fewer buses than 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 we currently have out there, typically on a Saturday. And, and uh, Pamela also asked why was it important to start on a Saturday? What was the you know, why why not choose other services? Why Saturday? Yeah, I mean, we did. We we looked at and and we looked at evenings. Um, that was a possibility, but we decided we wanted to do something that made the most sense, so that the customers knew 
that, you know, it was going on during that day. Uh, at that particular time, evenings, we were a little worried that how do you make the cut between fixed? And I know it can be done, but we just wanted to something that seemed a l- little bit more clean. And uh, we also knew that if we started on Saturdays, we had a little bit more time in between to, to make adjustments. And actually, that's been helpful for us at this particular case. There's a lot of there's a lot of other questions that have come up, but I want to wait. I'm going to save those till later because I think I'd like to get both you and Stephen to weigh in on them. And so um, some of these questions, uh, folks in, in the audience, we will get to, but I'm not going to ask them just to just Sam only. Um, and we'll get to uh, kind of the the broader picture questions after uh, Stephen's had a chance to to go through his uh, scope of services and his process. So, so I'm going to jump so, uh, in there. Just one, Sam, one uh, really quick, Sam. Um, okay. I, I, there was one question, um, uh, Sam, that I think is particular to yours, and that was, um, sorry, I just, there, it, it, there's a lot of questions popping up, so I'm just trying to go through them here. Um, and it might have either got moved around. I apologize. There's just a number of things here. Um, I guess one question is: is uh, how long was the tendering process? Um, one fellow had a question about that. So um, maybe explain tendering process. So I maybe I'm. What, what do you mean by tendering? Just, just so from the I think it was from um, the point from where you made the decision for the RFP to where you got to contract. How was that six? Was that close to? Okay, gotcha. So, um, well, I mean, our, our process, you can kind of tell, I mean, it was, was interrupted by COVID. Um, but if it wouldn't have been, I mean, the process probably would have taken, you know, I mean, from the time that the contract was adopted, uh, from when we issued the RFP, probably four or five months. Right. And then I guess the, the other question was actually in the chats and it was, um, what was the six week warm up period that we, you know, I'll let you talk about that, but, um, I can, I can offer some color there too. But, um, what, what was the six week warm up period for? So, you know, warm up is, uh, essentially and uh, to, to, to get us through to, uh, work through because it is, is, is really new. You want to make sure you're working through all the details to make sure what you have, um, and, and, and for instance, you know, the number of buses that you have out there versus how the software is working with it, um, to make sure it's moving, uh, working smoothly enough that, um, you can start to rely on your statistics. And, and I think that's really, you know, Jeremy and you probably could answer a little more specifically, but that's what I understand. Yeah. So from, from our perspective, when, when we're doing deployments, some of the areas are, are not so large, but, but Sioux Falls in particular is, is a very large deployment. It's got a, a large service area that was previously serviced by 10 full-size bus fixed routes, it has 200,000 people, a lot of stakeholders, a lot of drivers, a lot of folks in the offices. So it, it takes longer to get all those folks trained through change management. And so it may not take as long with a smaller operation, um, but with Sioux Falls, we wanted to make sure that it, that it was... Uh, rolled out in, in stages so that each person could vote and, and say that they were comfortable moving to the next step. 
right? You know, there's no point in pulling people along if they're not ready yet. So we just want to make sure that we have that time allocated. So, um, so Sam, I, I'd like to kind of end the Sioux area uh, metro conversation for now and put it on pause till we get to um, let Stephen have some time to kind of walk through um, their area because it's a, it's a what I like about on-demand transit is that the applications are very different, right? There, there's no two that are exactly the same and they can take different forms. And so um, I'm very, very happy to have Stephen here to talk about his uh, application as well. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I'll go ahead and share my screen as well. And so... Stephen Hunt with Valley Regional Transit, and I'm the development director there. Valley Regional Transit, as was mentioned, operates in the Treasure Valley, which is, includes Boise, Nampa, Meridian, Caldwell, within the state of Idaho. So um, kind of southwest Idaho, that's where we're at. And what this on-demand uh, application did was it looked at three underperforming and frequent routes that served Nampa, Caldwell, and some Canyon County. Uh, the ridership was was pretty low. It actually started, though, because of a conversation we were having with one of our funding partners. And so one thing that color, colors, I think, our whole process is the fact that that our local dollars come from voluntary contributions of, the, of each jurisdiction that we serve. So meaning... Um, when a jurisdiction says we need to change something or else you're not going to get funding next year, that, that tends to have a bit of weight on our decisions. So we were looking at uh, one of our funding partners is the College of Western Idaho, which is in Nampa, and they had a special service that connected several of their remote campuses, um, and that's the Route 55 you can see on the screen. And it was, it was open to the public, but it, it really was tar trying to target students who are traveling between campuses and it was getting essentially no riders i mean very very low ridership half a rider an hour or something like that and so um they were looking at a way that they could get better utilization while still serving that population so it that's where our initial exploration into on demand began was is there a way we could replace just the route 55 um and those conversations kind of grew over time, and we realized that for what we were trying to do, there might not be a whole lot to optimize by just replacing a single route. And so the, the project ended up growing into replacing all three of those routes, the 55, the 51, and the 52, um, replacing them all with on-demand service. And the, the desired outcomes of the project was to increase the number of destinations that we could get to, increase ridership, uh, at least on segments of it. And in the case of College of Western Idaho, their specific interest was to see ridership grow on their service. Um, the city of Nampa was also interested in seeing ridership, the productivity of service grow, and the cost per rider go down. One of the things that we were facing in Canyon County generally is is as the region is growing, it's currently about 160,000 people between Nampa and Caldwell, and we're trying to cover that whole area. It's not it's not all of incorporated Nampa and Caldwell, but it is the the main portions of those cities. But um, 
they're growing and, and new places are popping up that are off of the original, the old fixed line network. So the coverage area that we had before really is, um, was, wasn't keeping up with where development was going to. There, there's a new Amazon fulfillment center that, that was brought online recently. Um, and it was off of our fixed route system. And so we were trying to find ways, how do we extend our reach into, into areas that we currently don't serve without having to necessarily generate a whole new route for it? The other thing that was a little bit unique in Nampa was we'd identified some, some different food deserts that happened to correlate with transit deserts, just meaning there were people who, who didn't have access to, to basic facility, or basic um, services nor did they have access to transit, and also those were low-income areas within the city of Napa. So we were trying to find, is there a way we could serve those populations in a more meaningful way than our current fixed route service did? Um, so the constraints, though, that we were working under is that we this service was replacing existing service. The the operating the ongoing operations of this would be funded with the exist with the current operating budget. Um, so we had to work within our existing resources, and we um, were trying to maximize current assets. So we, we used our transit vehicles. We were repurposing our existing bus stops and our operators. Um, and the way this project evolved, it ended up having to meet a particular, a relatively short time frame. Um, I suppose if you if you mark the first time we thought on-demand transit to when we deployed, it was more than 12 months. But by the time we got serious about saying, okay, this is something that needs to happen, um, it was it was down to about a 12-month turnaround that we needed to deliver um, this service, and that was driven in large part by the needs of our partners. So, in the end, we ended up having uh, developing a, an on-demand system that. I hope you can see the the light green shading on that on that map that extended the reach of transit beyond uh, where it had been. We were able to then market those new locations, new new destinations that um, were open to the public. One of them being actually the high schools. There were a number of high schools that were just not even just maybe a mile or mile and a half off of the fixed route system that we were trying to pull into the into the transit universe because we needed to grow the number of places that could use transit in our, in our clientele. And so that was one of the other elements that we wanted to gain by moving to on-demand is increasing the number of, of institutions or locations that have an interest in taking and using transit. Um, this actually is just a cut-up of the brochure that we now have for the on-demand service. And it, it's an important thing to think about is how do you communicate what the on-demand service looks like to the public, and particularly if you're coming from fixed route and then replacing that with something on-demand, there's just a, a sense that like, what does your schedule look like? There actually is no schedule, right? Um, and so how do you communicate to the riders the process that they're going to have to go through to, to call for a bus, and how do you illustrate to the riders where they can get on buses? And so this was our attempt to try and do all of that, and it, it does, I think... Um, harken back to like fixed route ideas, right? So we're talking about it. We need a map. We need something that shows the extent. We need something that gives people an idea of when services available. All of those things are still important to be able to communicate, uh, but it, the way you communicate it changes a little bit. Um, 
So to get to the RFP process, I want to just focus on a couple of items, which is, as was already mentioned, it's really important that you have a clearly defined set of goals going into your RFP process. Um, and so ours were, we, we wanted to increase productivity of service. We also knew that we would be using existing operators and vehicles, so it was important that we had operations involved from the beginning so that they understood like how, how um, will this be rolled out and what does it mean for operators? Like when do they take breaks on an on-demand system? Like there's no kind of set layover or at least scheduled layover. So figuring out how do you make sure that all of those operational things are considered in the new on-demand world. And as I mentioned, what does that look like as you as you interface with the with the public? So we did implement a whole lot of new virtual stops, which actually had no physical manifestation. There was no bus stop there, but we maintained access at all of the existing bus stops and had signage at those bus stops that included information about how to call for a ride. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about the RFP process is our our approach to um, how to evaluate the proposals was a, a, maybe a little bit different in the sense that we did have, I mean, it's all usually an RFP process leads to some kind of scoring and evaluation in a in a numeric fashion, and we have been as an organization trying to shift that away from like a, a strictly numeric evaluation to something we call best value, which is identifying what are the what are the strengths of one proposal and what are the weaknesses of that proposal and if you can via I mean sometimes we think about interviews as just getting more information from the proposer proposer, but using that more as an opportunity to say, here are some things that we need in order to make this better, like and have that be more of a, a discussion um, than like did you get the answer right? Does that make sense? Because a lot of the a lot of the proposals that you're getting, both sides are trying to figure out what really are you trying to accomplish, and we wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to um, figure out from the proposers if they could meet our goals. Um, so we we use this process of the best value, which is essentially uh, giving yourself a little bit more flexibility in how you approach the the proposal process, asking follow up questions, and trying to to build up areas on a proposal that maybe you otherwise like, if the and um, get it to where the proposal you go with is the one that provides the best value to the organization. And then really quick, just a couple of pitfalls that I wanted to mention through the process is um, definitions really do matter, especially in something like this. Uh, and the on-demand versus on-demand definition that I wanted to highlight is when we went through the process, in my mind, on-demand just meant you didn't necessarily have a fixed schedule. When I when we were talking with the proposal, proposers, it became clear that on-demand has lots of different meanings. And one of them could be on-demand means there is no schedule before the person requests it, meaning pre-booking in a paratransit sense isn't on-demand. That's pre-booking. Does that make, that make sense? And that becomes actually an important distinction in terms of how you communicate to the rider and how they book a trip to say, like, the only way that you can book a trip is in the moment. Like, right now I want to go out and find a trip 
that in their mind was on demand. If no schedule, no um, there's no schedule or routes out there, but I want to go tomorrow, and so I want to go and schedule the trip, that in their mind wasn't on demand. Does that make sense? But when we were thinking about the service provision, I was thinking I wanted that to be seamless. Whether I'm trying to schedule the trip now or in two days, that's still kind of on demand. But so when you when you get into these questions with the proposers, just make sure that you talk through like what does that look like? How does that work with their with their uh, yeah their software their algorithms? Because it makes a difference. Uh, and so this is a little bit what I was describing there in terms of dynamic scheduling versus pre-booking and how all of those are optimized. Sometimes maybe the approach is that pre-booking and dynamic scheduling happen in entirely different, um, what's the word, universes. The, the, that optimization process isn't an integrated process. Knowing that matters uh, because it means things in terms of how the rider is going to experience transit. Um, and none of us knew any of this when we started the process. So the, the other thing that I would say is if, if you're not already a software expert on on-demand services, do interviews before you start the RFP process. Like find somebody that you want to, that you know is in this space, talk to them about how, how their process works and, and probe a little bit to figure out like what are the things that are going to be most important to us and in the application that we're trying to do for on-demand service. Um, and then I guess the last thing is just the the way data is is stored and used matters as well. Making sure that and that most of them were, were good about you know showing that the data is is really accessible and and meets NTD requirements. Um, but it does raise interesting questions. I think I saw a question in there about is on-demand motor bus or is it paratransit in, in terms of NTD? And I believe uh, we're reporting our on-demand services as motor bus. They're, they're not paratransit. Um, we're using fixed, what used to be fixed route vehicles and stops to do it. Um, but it really does come down to like figuring out what is the specific use case. In our case, it was we wanted to constrain the number of places that people could get on and off the bus. So it wasn't door-to-door. -door, it was stop-to-stop -stop with an expansion of, of stops with creating a bunch of virtual stops to extend the reach of service. Um, so I guess those would be kind of my main points is make sure to talk to people before you start the process so you have an idea of how you would – because then you can structure that into your proposal, right? Like. I know that I want this to be stop to stop. I know that I want to use existing um, transit vehicles because you'll get proposals and it'll be easy to make a distinction. We, the, I guess that would be another thing that I would mention is we were surprised at the, both the number of proposals we got and where we got them from. It was an international pool of our proposals that we got. Um, and so you, it's both exciting, but also it just means you've got to sift through a lot. And, and it should what we saw is there was a pretty quick separation between like paratransit type operators that were hearing on demand and saw their services doing that, and then people who were trying to do Lyft and Uber, and people who were trying to do something that is a little bit more like fixed route tra or um, transit that is scheduled on demand, um, which is essentially where we were trying to go as well. So.
I hope some of that's helpful. And those were the thoughts that I wanted to share. Thanks. Very, very good, Stephen. I, I really appreciate the, uh, the the depth and level of detail there, and agree with you on a number of those of those points. Um, and just for clarity, you ended up selecting who for your your provider at the end of the day. We ended up going with Via, and one of the reasons that we went with Via is because, so again, this this stuff matters because there was there was an easier crossover into paratransit. So. Once you start to say like, all right, we can do this on-demand stuff for fixed route. Why am I not doing on-demand booking for paratransit? Like, why am I still saying that you have to call 24 hours in advance for to to book a paratransit ride? Can we have a single system that allows like everybody to do all of that? It was important to us, and so uh, that wasn't exactly um, how we've deployed it yet. But we we were thinking about what our next steps might be and wanted to wanted that to be an option. Perfect. Just want to be clear that that both of you are not using uh, Pantonium. So, um, Sam, I'll get you to unmute. We're going to get into some meaty questions now. We've got quite a few to get through, and I think that you know I'd like each of you to kind of comment on some of them. So, um, one one popular question is from Rick. Uh, we'd like to understand. Can you tell us how you are you design the RFP and how you've got to implementation? What does success mean, right? And I think it's an interesting question because. There's, there's a lot of tendency to measure it just on numbers alone and, and performance. But what does success actually mean for, um, for each of you? Yeah, briefly, please. Uh, start with Sam. Give you, give you a bit of a break, Stephen. Right. So I, it is a good question. You're right, uh, Jeremy. You can't get lost in the numbers. You can start going. There's so many different things you can measure. Um, but I think what's important here, what we've got to boil it down to is, again, going back to our goal. We're trying to provide a service more efficiently so that we can try to actually see if we can get additional services. Can we go a further distance? So we're really looking, uh, or different hours, um, additional hours. So what we're really looking at is, again, we had eight buses out there on Saturdays. So can we do it with less? Same service area, same kind of ridership or, or demand. If we do that and we know we're getting less, we've got something. That means we can start to do something more or we can also save some money, which we know is, is financing is difficult. The other, the other side of that is, of course, you got to make sure it's also something that the customers, um, you know, appreciate, like, value. And, and those are things that are a little harder to measure, um, you know, and those are things that we're looking at, you know, through surveys or other things. So um, those really are, are the two main things that we're looking at right now. Very good. Um, I thought I knew the answer to this question, and it was going to be boardings per hour, kind of plain and simple. We want to see an increase in productivity and a decrease in cost per boarding. But what's been interesting to watch as this is rolled out is the amount, the increase in customer satisfaction, just like how people are perceiving the service and the number of people who are saying, hey, like I can take transit now that I, and I couldn't take it before. And the general feeling towards the services has been relative, has been actually quite positive, like four and a half plus out of five stars. Um, and, but our, our productivity is not there, but 
I think the people who are wanting the service, namely are the College of Western Idaho, the city of Nampa, if they see that their residents like it more, that might be the win, right? So in the end, I'm not, I'm no longer as certain as I was going into this as to what the, what the measures of success end up being because, um, I, I was hoping that it was all going to be about efficiency and it would be really clearly It'd be, clearly be able to see, like, this is more efficient or less efficient and be able to move on. But if it's less efficient and people like it more and they're willing to pay for it, I don't know if that's not a win anymore. Um, so it, it's been interesting to watch. And I, and I think that gets to the deployment types, right? So if, you, if you're looking at a um, suburban-style deployment with a, a, a wide service area and folks can get to where they need to get to, like you say, there's food deserts and things like that, then, you know, that is the win, you know, and, but maybe in, in Sam's case where he needs to service a lot of people using fewer assets, maybe boarding's priority are more important there, right? So I think that the goal will shift based on the type of deployment that you're looking to, to, to put out. If I could add one more thing, like one of the things that was hardest about this transition though was seeing the impact that it has on existing riders. And so, um, fixed route is great because the barriers to entry are essentially a fair, right? I mean, you need to know kind of where it's at and everything, but um, otherwise you can just go out, get the bus whenever it's coming. And when we were doing the, the in the run up to the changeover, it was, it was heartbreaking in my, in my own experience to see people who were like, they just aren't going to do this new service um, because they don't have the, I mean, we had people who only had access. They didn't have, a, they didn't have internet at home. They didn't have a, landline at home they just had a cell phone but they were using wi-fi was their only access to data so the only place that they could request the ride would be where there was already uh wi-fi on the bus they could do it <laughs> but you can't do it on the bus if you're not on the bus and so it was those things are real barriers and it it hasn't been easy for me to think through like what does this mean from an equity perspective um and I'm still not settled as to where that all lands. But this question of like, what's success look like at some level is for us anyways, what are people willing to fund? And that, that's been interesting to watch, I guess is all I can yeah, say. And if I can add to that quickly, because we're just really new and into this. I mean, it's very, you know, only six weeks into it, six days into it, really. And, um, we're seeing some of the same things um, where there's a lot of people that don't have access to what's required for a, you know, a, a satisfying on-demand service. But what's interesting about this is what, what I'm finding is one of the wins is the data that you get. Yes. We're seeing real clear origin and destination data that you can't get on any fixed route service very easily. I mean, I'm not saying you can't do it, but here you can get it very easily because you know where people are starting their trip and where they're ending their trip. So now with a lot of the people that do need or do not have uh, the cell phone uh, service, the, the smartphone, the service, maybe you can start to see where those trips are going to for a lot of those people. This is what we're hoping and what we're looking at. Maybe then we can start to bring in some kind of a limited fixed route service for those kind of trips that are needed. So I think either way that there, there's a win right there. Um, there's uh, success right there. 
Hey, I agree, agree 100%. Uh, a lot of people want your RFPs. They want it. They want the. They want the hard copies. They want the references, right? And 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 I've seen this. I know you probably saw this. Folks on in the Q and A are, are talking about how there is no repository of of on demand transit RFPs, like reference documents. You know, things that maybe the transit association should be collecting to help you know create a reference library for people. But I want to ask: Is that legal? It, can, can these documents be shared after, uh, like if you're not a plan taker or if you didn't download it, can, can we share those documents with, uh, with other folks? My understanding, yeah, the RFP can be shared. Uh, yeah, yeah. The proposals, not so much, yeah. but the RFP itself could be shared. And so maybe I maybe noticed... we need to start pushing to uh, create a repository of, of historical uh, uh, on-demand RFPs to, to be searchable in, in, in some location. So. Yeah, we could certainly, uh, you know, provide, provide that. I would have to get approval for sure, but I'm like Stephen, I, I think the same thing. I, I, I mean, we put it up on our, our public website, so I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's public there too for everybody. So, um, a couple of people are asking about, uh, integration with other platforms. Is, is, was that considered important when you're putting this out in, in the, in, into the, into the world here? Like, uh, like Annunciation or GTFS or, you know, other types of services that, that, you know, are being used for transit. Did, was that a requirement or is that a nice to have right now? Right now it's, it's kind of a nice to have. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of different things in this part of our core team process. There were other things like that, the technology items, like you said, annunciators or, you know, uh, trying to interface that with mobile uh, ticketing systems and, and, you know, other data that you can, uh, gain from, you know, up, update, updates of your fare boxes, all kinds of things like that. Uh, a real time GPS. Um, you know, but I, I, I think you gotta, you know, this technology thing, I think you gotta, I don't think you can, uh, uh go into it and say we're going to do a comprehensive change. There's just no way easy that I've seen of doing that. So you got to kind of take it. In nice bite-sized pieces. So, are either are either of your projects inter interfacing with any other hardware or, or platform? I don't think ours ours is. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it really is. You know, bringing in uh, in this case Pantonium's uh, software. Um, and, and being able to utilize that for our on-demand services. But, um, at this point, we're not. I mean, it would be nice eventually to interface it with our fare box or, you know, mobile ticketing systems. And I think those are things that you would eventually be trying to look at. Yeah. We're the same way. I mean, we have, what do they call them? I don't know if they're like deep links, but in, in terms of like true integration, no, um, one of the challenges that we have uh, is trip planning where particularly because so our service runs Monday through Friday different than Sam um, and there actually are other fixed route services in Canyon County where this on-demand service is operating Monday through Friday they're just not the local services so if you had it if you wanted to plan a trip from Boise to Nampa that went on an intercounty and then onto the local, 
we don't have a seamless way of doing that because it, because that trip plan would require you to book a trip on the on-demand service. So that connection is challenging. Uh, and so those are some of the things we had to think through in terms of what do we communicate to the rider on our trip planning thing that says, I want to do this trip from Boise to Nampa, and it says you can't do it, or it says this is what you take, and then you need to book a ride once you get into Nampa. Right? Just the logic of that is is um, some stuff that we had to work out on our website. Um, and then Sam mentioned the data, which is which is really robust, and that's one of the one of the big advantages that uh, we also saw with our with our funding partners about on-demand transit. But that's another thing that that needs to get integrated. Our ridership data, I mean, it can come through the GFI fare box, but it's different. It's not associated with a block or route anymore. And 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 if we have, so in our case, we have one person maybe who's booking multiple trips and they're not, it just gets hard harder to do a direct match of that data stream and maybe your GFI data stream and ridership data stream. And so if you're trying, what, yes, we, we have NTD data for on-demand, but usually we're talking about NTD data for the whole agency. And so you just still have to figure out a way to merge those two streams. What about funding? You know, you've got some funding for, to launch the program. How will you fund it in, in perpetuity if you like it? You know, is it, is it just another operational cost or will you still rely on some federal funding to, to keep it operational? What's, uh, what's the plan uh, after year one? So for for us again, I mean, we got a little bit of, of of funding to help us, you know, in terms of you know the licensing of the software, you know, that that you would have, and a little bit of the pilot. But again, long term, uh, you know, this has to pay for itself. I mean, if we're, if our goal is to try to do things with less buses, if that then then you're really you're doing it and trying to show a cost benefit analysis, you know, the benefits outweigh the costs. And, and um, that's what we're trying what would be doing in this particular case. We're not doing the additional services would be because it's more efficient and you can do more with less. And Steven. Uh, well, for us, it's easy in the sense that, um, the ongoing support of this is, is coming through our contributions from those local jurisdictions. So CWI and, and the city of Nampa were paying into an operating budget, and that operating budget is what set the, the cap, so to speak, for how much on-demand service we're providing to the, to the region. So it's as sustainable as the fixed route service was before it. Um, but again, that's why it comes back to a little bit of when we define success, the success of it is a, is kind of like how much are people willing to pay for it? Because right. we yes. that's that was the principal driver for going to on demand in the first place was we had partner our funding partners weren't convinced that the services that they were getting were worth the money that they were paying, and so we're trying something new. And if that's whatever combination of reasons they have for that, more people can have access to it, or people are more satisfied with it, or on time performance is better, or um, what what have you. Uh, that's all that goes into the mix. So I think what we're we're getting to the end of our official time, and so I'd like to, for recording purposes, uh, 
thank everybody for attending. But I'd also like to say if, if, if people have time and they want to stay on to ask a few more questions, maybe Sam or Steven, if you have 10 minutes, would you be willing to stick on a, a little longer? Is that, is that okay? Yeah, I have time. It's okay by me. So, um, <clears throat> so I'll say for, you know, thank you to all the attendees and participants for, for taking time for Steven and Sam for, uh, taking time to prepare, you know, lessons learned for, uh, on-demand transit RFPs. And we will have another webinar coming up about developing uh, business cases. So stay tuned for that. And, uh, you can go to pantonium.com to sign up for our newsletter or, uh, follow us on any social media. And I appreciate, uh, everyone's time today and, uh, thank you for attending.